0: and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole, hello. I think this is a really important episode and topic, and one that we've run into. I know in your personal career and in the clinic, but preserving your body as a physical therapist, like you guys have, physically demanding jobs, and you're putting in a lot of hours working with your hands. Like, how do you do that?
0: Yes, and this you know might seem like a funny topic for a podcast because it's we're going to depend on your visualization of a lot of things here, but as you know, we are all rehab professionals, so this shouldn't be too difficult for you to do. But so I have been a manual based therapist now for about 16 years and not on wood, but I have never had like a major event where I've had any sort of pain or any problem with anything, even though every day for a lot of patients, I am working with my hands and weight bearing through my arms. And that is something that I can attribute back to one of the... I got trained by... A CFMT or an IPA physio when I was in school and it was one of my the best rotations ever. They are you know highly manual therapy based, but my CI every time, one of the biggest things that he would always talk to me about almost with literally every patient is my body mechanics and how I was going to be able to implement that over years of my career. And I've never forgotten that and I've always um, practiced that way. And I can attribute it to my CI back in the day. And that was really lucky of me to have that person. But I think that we all need a little bit of a reminder sometimes on taking care of our own bodies, because I never want us to be the limiting factor to being able to implement certain treatment strategies for our patients. That shouldn't happen.
1: We've seen that. People have reached out, even people in the local area who you know used to have a more manual focus and now do something where maybe you do switch to doing like all biofeedback. Not because you necessarily think it's better for the patient, but because it's better for you and your body. That's what you can tolerate.
0: Yeah. And I actually know someone personally who, that used to be a manual therapist. I actually trained her and... I trained her in a very good way, but she wasn't disciplined. I guess that's the point. She wasn't disciplined about her body mechanics and she ended up having a ton of wrist problems. She wouldn't, you know, do her own work and go to the gym and get stronger and that kind of stuff. And she ended up having a huge problem. She was wearing wristbands all the time. And then she actually ended up starting to treat in a completely different way. And in her case, she started to be completely hands-off, rarely touched the patient at all, then started to rely a ton on biofeedback. And y'all know how I feel about biofeedback, but I especially don't like it if you're doing it only because you can't do something else that's better for the patient. And so that's just really unfortunate. And and we all know that there is multiple ways to get a patient better. But if I want you to go back to what is your ethos? And if your ethos is that you started out being a manual-based therapist, then we got to get you to be able to preserve that so that you can practice the way that you think patients need to be treated over the course of your entire career. And I know that for some of you younger PTs out there, that might seem like, oh, this is never going to happen to me. I feel great. But I can tell you that it is so, so, so important for you to, if you even if you don't have anything quote unquote wrong right now, to pay attention to how you are implementing these treatment strategies for your patients.
1: So what does it look like when you do start having problems or pain? Where does that usually manifest for like manual physical therapists?
0: I would say in a manual PT, wrists, thumbs, sometimes fingers, and even shoulders and mid-back, because you know, as we are doing joint mobs and mini- mobilizing hips and stuff like sacrums and stuff like that, we're actually weight-bearing through our arms quite a bit. And it's not that we're using that much force, but that's something that if you're doing it right, you don't have to use that much force, is, is the point of this podcast. But if you are not watching your body mechanics, then the force that you are putting down is times... Whatever, you know, times a lot more than what it's supposed to be if the angle of your hand isn't great or your body mechanics aren't optimized in that way.
1: And when does this usually seem to manifest? Is there any kind of pattern to this? Is this something that's going to pop up usually earlier in the career when before you develop some of your strength in your hands? Is this something that's more of a repetitive? You know, you see this being a bigger problem for people 10 years in. Does it totally depend?
0: I feel like it totally depends. And this is a good thing for us too to understand what were we doing before? If you are a volleyball player and your shoulders are shot and you want to be able to do some joint mobilizations and weight bear through your arms a lot, you're going to have to change a lot of the ways that you might be rehabbing your own self because of your previous history in another life from some of the stuff that you might, you used to be doing, you know, I have a nagging, you know, right SI joint problem. So if I am offloading somebody's leg, I use typically now will use a pillow to do the same thing that I used to do where I used to have like one of my knees up on the table where the patient's leg was draped over mine so i don't do that as much anymore um, sometimes i still will but i vary that position because i know that i have a tendency to have issues with that part of my body so it's another part of understanding what you might be susceptible to if you have really hypermobile thumb joints right MCP joints, then that might be a place for you. That doesn't mean that you can't do something like skin rolling and myofascial release. It means you have to be careful and really cognizant about how you're doing it, and it's not in the thumbs, anyways. And so, getting somebody to maybe observe you doing it, getting a mentor to help you, even having a coworker watch your body mechanics can be so much more beneficial than, hey, can you pop my pelvis today or whatever to make me feel better. I
1: think that is something I've noticed about you physical therapists too. Because you know the body, you guys tend to be really lax about these kind of things. Like, oh, I'm having this pain, but it could go... Nicole does this all the time. I'm having this problem, but I know that if I really took any time and wanted to fix it, I could. So it's not a big deal. So I'm just going to let it linger (laughs) for forever.
0: I am... I... Well... So I've not had a problem with my hands, but that is how I am with like, I've had some foot issues and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh God, I know exactly what that is. And it's like not worth it to me <laughs> to actually do it. I think really, if you contrast that with our patients, you guys, what that means is like, we're that's the fear. We're not scared of it. We know exactly what it is. We know how to fix it. Now it's just a matter of discipline. I think the opposite happens with our patients. They don't know what it is that creates a huge impetus for them to, Oh my God, get help. What could this possibly be? Because they don't understand it, which in our issue for us ends up being a detriment sometimes because we let stuff go a longer time because of that.
1: So a couple of practical things here. We're going to run through a list of ways that you can be helping yourself because at the end of the day, we do want everybody to be able to be in this field for as long as they want to be doing the stuff they want to be doing and not being worried that their body is going to be the limiting factor in what they can do, or having to make decisions based on that. So a couple of things that you jotted down here, Nicole. First and foremost, and this I wonder how many people actually do this, use both hands equally.
0: All the time, every patient, every day, use both hands. I am just as good at doing literally everything with my left hand for patients as I am with my right hand, and that is huge. That goes for internal work, that goes for joint mobilizations, that goes for anything, literally anything. You should be able to use both hands equally. And guess what, you guys? It That's not something that is magic. That is something that takes freaking work and discipline. And it feels weird for a long time until one day it doesn't. And it really just is, is something that you have to pay attention to and deliberately be uncomfortable in for a while until you get good at it. It really is all about practice and reps.
1: And that is something, if you guys don't realize why that's so important, it literally takes the strain on one of your hands and cuts it in half. Like that's literally saying, instead of doing everything or all of your internal with your dominant hand, you're now spreading that load over both limbs and literally cutting the amount of stuff that you're doing in half with any given hand. So that's probably the single biggest thing that you can do. If you're not doing that just mathematically, like even if you don't have the greatest mechanics, if you're spreading that load over both hands, it's a hugely powerful tool to be able to do that.
0: And just to give you an example, you guys. So just one example for internal, if I'm treating somebody, if they're in supine, vaginal, transvaginal assessment, if I am doing, treating their right side, I'm using my right hand. If I am treating their left side, I'm using my Left hand.
1: No swirlies.
0: No swirlies. So, and this is what happens. Sometimes, if your table, and we're going to get to this, I think, if your table it does not have the ability for you to walk all the way around it and treat from both sides, then you need to problem solve and make your patient move. Because to them, it's not that big of a deal. To you, it's going to significantly impact the rest of your life and the rest of your ability to to continue to be a manual therapist. When you start if like, let's say you're on the right side of the plinth and you're treating the patient's right side with your right hand and you have it, the plinth is like now set up to the, the left side of the plinth is like stuck to the side of the wall. Okay. If you're treating that right side and then you swirl your hand around so that you have to assess the left side of that patient with your right hand, your wrist is in a jacked up position. Your finger's in a jacked up position. And guess what? You're not getting the consistent assessment from each side. And so your findings are all jacked up also. So now your findings are messed up. You're going to be doing things to the patient based on faulty assessment tools, and then you're jacking up your whole wrist. Like, just don't do it. How hard is it then to just be like, okay, just, and just tell the patient. And I used to have space issues and I would just tell the patient, okay, like right now your head's on this end of the table and there will be a time and during the session where we're going to just flip you around. So then the the patient's on the other side, like that's what you have to do if you don't have space to walk around. Now we have the luxury of pelvic sanity because I could design our own rooms where we can walk around the entire four sides of the table, and treat from any of those areas.
1: And just to put a bow on that conversation too, Nicole, about having the patient flip over, in that case, so you can use the other hand, also don't be afraid to ask the patient to move Anytime. If they're in the middle of the table, right? I mean, you just need to have the patient move.
0: Dude, They need to make it easy for you because you're the one that has to do it all day. So it's no big deal for them. It is, if somebody is, you know, cattywampus on the table, I'm like, Hey, can you move a little bit closer to me? You need to set yourself up for the least amount of angle and force and all of that in all of your treatment sessions Every single time. And yes, that does mean that you're asking the patient to move sometimes quite a bit. And guess what? That's okay. And if you do that all the time, that just is what happens. And your patient gets super used to it.
1: Little habits that make huge differences over the course of a career.
0: So then I can even have a patient that now just preemptively does it. Like they know we're going to do it to the other side. They scoot over to the other side as I'm walking around. They just know you train them.
1: That's one of those interesting kind of, I don't know, ironies about the profession then, right? If you're trying to get somebody back to movement, you want somebody super engaged in their own care, and yet having them scoot over three inches, it seems like a big ask.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's actually funny. I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, just freaking ask them to move. No big deal. And don't feel bad about it either. Right. What are they going to say? No. Why?
1: (laughs) No, I'm comfortable here.
0: No. And I'd be like, okay, well, then... I mean, what? No one would say that. You know, it's just like, no,
1: just do it. That's really funny. So another thing that you mentioned, Nicole, is thinking about your treatment progression to kind of set tissue up for success so you don't have to work so hard. Work a little harder. We're look a little smarter, not harder.
0: Yes. Always work smarter, not harder, you guys. So I do want you to think about too, if you, I'm going to use just the internal example, but it, it applies to everything that you do externally as well. But if you find a tender point, trigger point, whatever we're calling them these days, and you know that that's like a symptom reproducer or a a symptom generator and you need to get that tissue to release or relax, you shouldn't have to work that hard. You should always be trying to find. We shouldn't have to be pressing that hard. We shouldn't have to be holding anything for that long. And guess what? Why? Because we are going to try to slack tissue and figure out what are the contributing factors to that tension and not have to fight it. We should not be fighting against any tone or tissue tension, we should be trying to figure out what are the things that are contributing to that? And can I either at the same time that I'm on that particular area, get that to release in a way so that I don't have to do anything special on that treating hand? Or can we pre-frame or not pre-frame, but preemptively set up the nervous system or the tissue itself to be in a calmer state so it's more ready to accept the intervention.
1: Yes. So another one that you had on here is just making sure that you are kind of aligning everything in your body mechanics and directing force properly which sometimes looks a little weird. You might be climbing on a table, you might need a step stool, you definitely need a high low table if you can get your hands on one, right? Give me the give me the breakdown yeah, on this. Yeah. So,
0: and this is something that we do with all of the training like because uh, again, I had the luxury of having somebody do this to me. One of the things that I'm doing when I'm training my staff is like we're talking about for you and your body, where do you need to be when you're doing this type of intervention on this type of body type and on that type of body type? So, there's all different things that you have to, that you can control. You control where the patient is. You can control how you're positioned with that patient. There are many times where I am on the table with a patient. One of my knees is up on the table with something. I mean, there are plenty, but it's all so that I can get in a position so that I have to put the least amount of force to make the most amount of change with the direction of force going straight into my whatever joint I'm using. So if it's my shoulder, I don't want to, I need to be like above the patient and positioning myself so that I really only have to use my body. I'm not actually moving my arm. And I know that we all know that, but I want you all to be thinking about, am I actually doing that every single time and for every single body type? And it is very rare that I am physically like taxed by anybody. I think the only person that I can think about that I was ever, I've ever like physically taxed. I had this, gosh, he was a a police officer and he's like six, eight. And he must have been like, do you remember this guy? Remember like 320 pounds? He was all muscle. Like And there are some things where I was just like, I do not think that, I mean, first of all, I'm not that big. So there's just not that much that I can do to that person's body where I'm going to make that big of a change in the ways that I was doing it normally. So I had to figure out for him different ways I was going to intervene. That was actually one of my most challenging patients I ever had. Plus he had penendal neuralgia. So it was just that was really challenging. But there were, were some things where I was like, I know I need to do this and I just can't get my body in the best position for this. And I need him to relax. So I'm I, you know, holding up his freaking huge ass tree trunk of a leg and I'm freaking straining. You know That is difficult for me.
1: But that's such an exception such to an the exception. rule, which is the whole point, right? Is you can literally remember the one time in your career that you had to abandon your you know your technique your principles with that another thing on here on that list is having a high low table using the high low table because it's not good enough to just have one if you're never pressing the button up and down
0: yeah man i am pre- that thing is going up and down all the time and we have cool ones at our clinic that have you can it's not just a button on the bottom it is where that's kind of annoying because that's only on one side we have levers on all four sides of the table so i can be anywhere and and change the height of the table, it's so important. Utilize that tool. If you don't have a high-low table, first of all, if you don't have a high-low table and you're a business owner, you need to get one. Invest. Invest. Like seriously, I know they're expensive, but it literally is investing in your own body and the longevity of your career. If you are working for somebody that does not have a high-low table, then you can make sure to keep bugging them about it. Because they need to invest.
1: That's something that is a good thing to advocate for. And, you know, your employer should be thinking that way. And if not, you know, maybe it is a, you know, a, a what, a, one of those big OB tables. I don't know what everybody has out there, but this is one of those things that's worth going in and asking about because it is investing in your longevity. And frankly, as an employer, I don't want you going on disability either. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, it should be a win-win and an obvious thing for everybody. So if you don't have one, we'd love to hear about that. If there's a story behind it, um, why that's not happening.
0: Gosh, and you know, treating, that's tough. If you're working out of like a gynecology office and you happen to be treating on an OB table, that's tough. You guys, that the table's shorter, it's on a different level, That that's tough. It's meant for gynecological exams. It's not meant for pelvic treatment.
1: I think the other thing that you said in that segment that was really interesting to me, Nicole, that I hadn't really thought about is that this, your mechanics change based on your body. And I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, you've trained obviously everybody at Pelvic Sanity, like our smallest therapists are like 5'1 and 40 pounds soaking wet. (laughs) Seriously. All the way up to like 6'2.
0: Yes. It's very, very different. So it totally matters. Your body type matters, how tall you are, how strong you are, how it just matters. And you have to take that into consideration, including the, in your setup and your patient, right? Because all of those three things are variables that you can change, which means that there's a ton of different ways to do something that you can implement.
1: Well, now talk to me about using some tools to make your life easier as well. Again, with this work smarter, not harder approach.
0: Yeah. Like, and I don't understand why, sometimes like these tools get a bad rap, but like there's a tool that is super cool and it's called the Heskier's tool. And it is, it has like 17 different surfaces that you can use and you can use myofascial release techniques. It's a, it can serve as your index finger for trigger point release. I mean, there's like a ton of different ways to do that. I've used for bigger places, for bigger, like if someone really has, if I really want to like Release someone's glutes before I do a sacral mobe or something, for instance. Then there are vibration tools that you can use that help the to and it doesn't help to break up scar tissue it doesn't help to do anything but it helps to give the nervous system a little bit different input so that you are an increased blood flow to prepare the tissue for whatever you're going to do there's nothing wrong with that what's wrong with it is if that's all you use all the time but if you are having a progression already in your head for what does this need to look like so that I can get the maximum amount of tissue change in the least amount of work for me then then you do it and that's okay.
1: And so the last one that we wanted to talk about is just routine self-care, whatever that ends up looking like for you, but actually putting in a little bit of time. And again, little habits can make a big difference. So what are some of the things, Nicole, people should be thinking about?
0: You know, really at the end of the day, it ends up being being willing to accept being a patient. And this is not ask your colleague to half-ass it for 20 minutes after work one day. I'm talking like, I would much rather, I said it before in this podcast, I would much rather have, if somebody has 20 minutes at my clinic, I would much rather have them look at me, watch me, treat a patient, and give me body mechanics tips of things that I can't see in myself than, hey, can you release this not for me or whatever? That Or can you crack my, you know, can you do minip my mid thoracic spine? Like that's just not the way we should do it. And you need to sometimes actually make an appointment either with another physical therapist or with a massage therapist or with an acupuncturist or whatever floats your boat. But that self-care routine treatment is really important to prioritize if you want to do this for a long time without having an issue.
1: And that is the goal for everybody. So I hope this has been helpful and really practical. This is one of those ones that really gets into the nitty-gritty details. But if, any, if you can implement even one of these things that we talked about, It's going to have a major impact on your career. So if you have any questions about this, if you're dealing with any of this, let us know. Reach out also wanted to remind you guys that we are still accepting applications for the Pelvic PT Rising business mentorship. So if you are running your own practice, if you are thinking about starting your own practice, obviously we love helping you guys get set up and really building a business that works for you. So we've got an amazing group of people who are going through. I'm so excited to be working with them. And if you are interested in joining us, please reach out, let us know at pelvicptrising.com mentoring. And we can check in with you, see if you would be a good fit, get you a little bit more information there. So if you have any questions about this, on preserving your body as a physical therapist, please do reach out. Let us know. We always want to keep this conversation going.
0: And let's continue to rise.